Hello and welcome in to the seventh installment of Carson Sack Podcast. Yes, I do want to apologize right off the bat for missing last week, Wednesday's episode. I was very sick. I was sniffling left and right. I was giving you about every other word and I didn't feel like my listeners, you people, would want to hear me every two words. So I took the week off. A lot happened that week. Maybe ton of touch on some of that, but again, Gonna talk the normal balls, gonna talk some football, some college, some NFL, then gonna talk a little bit of baseball. The playoffs are in full swing, and we're gonna look at that and then look ahead to next week's games and look to next week's series as well. As we normally do though on the sack, let's talk about a little bit of football first and let's talk about college and the week that was in college football. Sadly, LSU could not go down to Gainesville, play Florida, 18th-rate Gators, because of Hurricane Matthew. So on a little bit of a sadder note to start with, just pray for all the victims and anyone that was affected by Hurricane Matthew. I want to make sure they know that our support is 100% with them, and sadly this game couldn't get played. And the SEC might have a little bit of trouble rescheduling this because Florida's kind of being jackasses about where they want it played and when they want it played. So hopefully we get to see that game before the end of the year. Now that that's out of the way, let's talk about the biggest upset this weekend where the Navy midshipmen took down the sixth-ranked Houston Cougars. Game was at Navy, but Navy used that triple option offense to its advantage. They ran the ball so well, wore out Houston's defense. Tom Herman's Cougars had no answer for that. And then Navy's quarterback made some big plays through the air, which you don't really see a lot from the midshipmen's quarterback because normally, like I said, they're just doing the triple option, run, run, run. But when they needed it, he came through big with his arm and brought them out. 46-40 victors over the Cougars. Don't think this really hurts the Cougars a lot. I do think they're probably not going to make the college football playoff now because of this, which you could say does hurt them. But looking down the line, they still got a real big game against Louisville. Louisville is probably going to be that only loss to, to uh, Clemson by the time those two meet up. So they got enough games left on the schedule, I think, where – Possibly, if enough goes in Houston's favor, they could sneak into the playoff, but it's going to take a lot, a lot of help from other teams around the nation. Next game, we're going to go down south, go down to the Texas Fair, y'all. Yep, that's right, talking about Texas Longhorns facing the Oklahoma Sooners, ranked 20th in the nation. Both teams 2-2, two and two, a little disappointing. Texas's win against Notre Dame, not looking very impressive. I'll talk about Notre Dame a little bit more later on in the episode. But like I said, both teams 2-2. Two and two. Oklahoma, a lot of expectations this year. Texas, a lot of expectations after that Notre Dame win. Charlie Strong in a very pitiful year, pivotal year year for his coaching future down there in Austin. Two and two is what both teams were. And Oklahoma comes out three and two on the year with a victory 45-40. And really I think this game just left a lot more questions than answers for the Longhorns, especially when it comes to coaching. Charlie's been calling the defense now for I think about two weeks and Baker Mayfield and the Mixon kid, the running back for Oklahoma, just lit them up the entire day. Um, Baker Mayfield really had a strong game. I believe his stats were he had 390 yards, almost 400 yards and three touchdowns. Just 
what we expected from him at the start of the year. He's been turning the ball over a little bit too much for a couple people's likings, mine included, but this game just played a good, solid Baker Mayfield game that we've all been expecting. Hopefully Oklahoma um, can get some momentum going in Big 12 play, but I heard recently that maybe we shouldn't rule them out of the college football playoff because if you look at it, their losses are to top, two top 15 teams. Houston on a neutral site, and then Ohio State, which was in Norman, so it was kind of a tough loss because they did lose kind of badly, but I'm going to rule them out, but some people aren't yet. I think if they have a good showing in the Big 12, maybe you could consider it, but I don't foresee it happening. But on the other hand, Texas falls to 2-3 and three on the year, just, again, way too many questions and not enough answers for the Longhorns. What are they going to do with Charlie Strong? I think if he gets him to a respectable bowl game, you might keep him on next year for a little bit. And if he starts sucking again, you're going to have to let him go, which I hate to see because I really like Charlie Strong. I think he's a good coach. He's a no-nonsense, no-bullshit type of coach. And you don't have a lot of those left in college football anymore because they understand that some of their players are going to mess up, and coaches are kind of lenient about that, especially if they're good players. But Charlie Strong isn't like that. We saw that at UofL. We saw that down at Florida a little bit. He His defensive guys were always not acting up or anything like that. It was normally the offensive guys or something like that. And now at Texas, he set that standard as well, but the winning standard that Texas fans are accustomed to just hasn't followed. So again, if Charlie Strong gets him to an okay bowl this year, I think maybe he gets a little bit of a trial run next year but if next year starts off real bumpy for the Longhorns Charlie is out as the Texas coach the next game we're going to look at is a team that I thought could make a lot of noise in the ACC but unfortunately fell flat on their face this weekend and that would be the North Carolina Tar Heels 17th in the country after that big last second field goal win over Florida State unfortunately like I said fell flat on their face as they got beaten 34 to 3 by the 25th ranked Virginia Tech Hokies Jared Evans for the Hokies threw 75 yards to the air not a lot but two touchdowns he only completed seven passes he ran for a touchdown and North Carolina their offense just couldn't get anything going at all Virginia Tech's defense as it normally is vaunted very good didn't let the Tar Heels get any momentum at all on offense and it showed throughout the game you could see UNC players getting frustrated maybe a little bit of argument between each other sometimes but Virginia Tech showing they're legit the only loss on the year to Tennessee on that neutral site game at Bristol, the Speedway. So Virginia Tech could make a little noise in ACC. I still like North Carolina to maybe upset some teams later on in the year. Don't think their playoff chances are anything after this loss, but still like them to maybe pull off some upsets. And Virginia Tech should be taken serious. Don't think they're probably playoff bound either, but again, going to be a tough team to beat come later on in ACC league play. The next game we're going to look at was between the Washington State Cougars and the 16th ranked Stanford Cardinals. And the Cougars pretty much just should have been called Lumberjacks because they chopped down the Stanford Cardinals. And you're like, what's Stanford Cardinals? Yes, their mascot is a tree, and they literally got chopped down by Washington State. Washington State wins this game 42-16. Wasn't ever really a game. Stanford's offense was supposed to be very high-powered behind McCaffrey this entire year, not able to get going at 
all. McCaffrey himself didn't lead the team in receiving yards like he normally does. And then rushing yards, he had eight carries for 35 yards. Not a real recipe for success, but when you're down as much as Stanford was for most of the night, you're not going to be running the ball. But they couldn't get McCaffrey going in the receiving game, which is a little concerning. And more of this game should be about how Washington State's defense came to play and also how um, Luke Falk, the quarterback for Washington State, threw 357 yards and four touchdowns. And Mike Leach, the ex-Texas Tech head coach, is out there at Washington State. The quarterback whisper, this offensive guru, um, is rejuvenating his career a little bit. I could see him maybe getting some looks from some bigger schools maybe later down uh, down the line if Washington State can get a little bit more momentum maybe this year and next year. But He's redoing that entire program and getting them excited. A big win for that program against Stanford. And if you're Stanford and you're a Stanford fan, you just got to look around and say, what are we doing? We had so much promise at the start of the year. We thought we were going to go to the college football playoff. We had a returning Heisman contender. And in back-to-back games, um, last week against Washington, where Stanford lost, and then this week against Washington State, McCaffrey has disappeared, and it's a little concerning because he was your go-to guy last year, and now this year you're not able to rely on him as much, and you need him a lot more because you got a lot of questions at quarterback, and McCaffrey is just disappearing. So big win for Washington State, but a lot of questions for Stanford. Sticking with the whole rejuvenated program theme we just talked about, going to look at the 10th ranked Miami Hurricanes going up against the 23rd ranked Florida State Seminoles in what was a doozy of a game. Florida State comes out on top 20 to 19. They blocked a point after to win the game. Would have been a great finish, probably an overtime finish if Miami would have converted that. But either way, um, Brad Kaya for the Hurricanes, 214 yards, two touchdowns, a solid day. Um, DeAndre Francois, though, for Florida State, 234 yards and two touchdowns. Just a lot of good quarterback play in this game. It was a great game to watch. Dalvin Cook finally looked like a Heisman contender this game. 27 carries, so they rode him all night long for 150 yards. Also got involved in the passing game. Caught a 59-yard touchdown pass on a wheel route. Really nice drawn-up play there by Florida State's offensive coordinator. It was a beauty to watch. Miami, under Mark Rick, former Georgia coach, is coming back. Granted, they did not win this game, but it showed they're trending the right direction. Their defense was pretty much a lot of freshmen, sophomores, not a lot of guys that didn't get a lot of playing time, but they held Florida State's offense only 20 points, which is very encouraging because Florida State can put up points when they need to. Florida State, big win on the road. They needed this because their season was up in the air a little bit. Jimbo Fisher, um, rumored to be going to some other places, maybe LSU, maybe USC if that job's open, but Jimbo Fisher amidst all the questions, all the animosity, what's been going on down for Florida State, comes out, goes to Miami, and leaves with a big win. Miami trending upward. I like what I saw out of them, but Florida State coming out with a big win this weekend. The last game I want to look at from last weekend was a top 10 matchup between the ninth-ranked Tennessee Volunteers against the eighth-ranked Texas A&M Aggies, and this game was probably the game of the week. Went to two overtimes. Texas A&M pulled it out in the end, 45-38. Josh Dodds for Tennessee, almost 400 yards, a touchdown, but two costly interceptions, one to end the game. Trevor Knight, the quarterback, 
back for Texas A&M, 239 yards, two touchdowns, also two interceptions, but Texas A&M's defense came through, did not allow Tennessee to score off of those two interceptions, which was big, and then Texas A&M's defense coming through in the end, intercepting Dobbs and double OT to win the game. Texas A&M's running back, 28 carries, 217 yards and a touchdown, just a beast of a game. Jalen Hurd, Tennessee's vaunted um, star running back, didn't get to play in the game. I forget why, but that could cost them. Tennessee didn't really drop very much in the rankings as they shouldn't have because it was at Texas A&M and they only lost to a team one spot ahead of them in the rankings. Tennessee has a big game against Alabama this weekend. If they can rebound and win that, I think they'll be fine. Texas A&M shows that they're for real. They had a game against Arkansas a couple weekends ago that showed they were legit as well. But Texas A&M is rolling. Later on in the season, they have a big matchup with Alabama, and I believe it's at Texas A&M. So we'll talk about that when it gets there. But I think this game really didn't hurt or help either team. I think it, I think it helped Texas A&M a little bit, but Tennessee didn't hurt itself at all. It was just a nice, fun game to watch, and I really enjoyed watching it. As we always do here on the SAC Podcast, we look to the past, and now we can look to the future. We're talking about this week in college football, and the first game we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the number one ranked Alabama Crimson Tide going to Knoxville to play the ninth ranked Tennessee Volunteers at 3.30 p.m. on CBS, SEC, CBS, Game of the Week. Josh Dobbs is going to need to have a big game. Hopefully Jalen Hurd can come back for the Volunteers and be that second option for Dobson in the run game. If Alabama's going to win, their defense is going to need to show up. In the past, they've had problems with mobile quarterbacks, and Josh Dobbs, his ability to get out of the pocket, make some plays with his legs, is really going to help. Jalen Hurts for Alabama is going to have a going to need to have a big game. Going to not make, going to need to not make a lot of freshman mistakes in a very hostile, rowdy environment that Knoxville is going to be. Damian Harris, the freshman running back for Alabama, again, is going to need to have a big game. He's only had 55 carries on the year for 478 yards. What is more upsetting for me about that is he only has one touchdown. I think he's probably going to have three this weekend. I'm going to go out on a limb and say three. I think they're going to ride him hard, try and keep Dobbs and Hurd off the field and really control the time of possession and really run the ball right down Tennessee defensive line's throats and keep the fans out of the game because – Tennessee fans aren't going to be cheering if all Alabama's doing is running the ball for four to eight to seven to six to three chunk gains like that. So in the end, I think Alabama's going to pull this one out. Tennessee hasn't played two halves of football in one game and this entire season. I don't think it's going to start Saturday. Um, I think the emotion is going to keep Tennessee in it for the first half, but then the second half, I think Alabama, the better team, is just going to show its strengths and beat the Volunteers. We just talked about the number one team in the nation, so let's talk about the number two as well. We have the second-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes going to the eighth-ranked Wisconsin Badgers at 8 p.m. on ABC. Game day is going to be there. Ohio State led by junior quarterback JT Barrett, 981 yards through the air so far this year, 15 touchdowns. Last week, he became Ohio State's all-time passing touchdown passing leader. Ohio State's run game strong behind true behind redshirt 
freshman, Mike Weber. I apologize. I stammered through that a little bit. 83 carries on the year, 556 yards, four touchdowns. But the key to this game is going to be Curtis Samuel and getting him involved. He has 23 receptions, uh, 345 yards, and three touchdowns. But he's a real Swiss Army knife type player, Percy Harvin role. If he can have a big game, um, Ohio State's defense is going to need to show up. Curtis Samuel is going to need to show up. And I think JT Barrett is probably going to toss about three touchdowns. And Mike Weber and Curtis Samuel are going to run the ball a lot, try and take, again, try and take Wisconsin's rowdy um, crowd out of the situation. But if they can do that, I definitely think Ohio State's going to come out on top on this one. I think maybe Wisconsin can keep it close for a little while. But, again, I think the second half, probably late third, early fourth quarter, the better team is going to show up, show their strengths, and win this game. I got Ohio State by at least 12 points in this game. I know that's a lot. The spread right now is Ohio State – um, minus 10. So I'm giving you two extra points. But I really do think Ohio State is just the better team in this game and is really going to show it come the late second or early fourth quarter. The next game we're going to look at is an ACC matchup between two teams coming off a loss. North Carolina going to 16th ranked Miami. I like Miami a lot in this game. North Carolina was kind of my little sleeper pick in the ACC, but I really think Mark Rick is going to have Miami playing real mad. After their tough loss against Florida State last week, I think the Hurricanes come out on top in this one. Miami is an eight and a half point favorite. I'll give you that. I'll say they win by 14. I really just think Mark Rick is going to have the Hurricanes playing pissed off and really going to come out and just knock the wheels off of North Carolina in this one. There's not a lot of big matchups this weekend in college football, so this is going to be the last game we talk about, but it's probably going to be a real good one. We got the 12th ranked Old Miss Rebels going to the 22nd ranked Arkansas Razorbacks. Arkansas has been up and down all over the uh, rankings so far this year. They're leaning on the run game a lot, as they usually do, but Ole Miss leaning on their core group of young wide receivers and quarterback Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly is putting up great yards, 1,596 through the air so far, 13 touchdowns. Um, Ingram, the receiving leader for uh, Ole Miss, 479 yards, four touchdowns, a freshman. I love seeing the athleticism and just how young these players can be, but they step up on big stages. This is a big stage, 7 o'clock on ESPN. Um, Ole Miss, I like them in this game. I think their offense is just going to be too much for Arkansas's defense to stop, and I think Ole Miss might get out to a big lead, which is going to take Arkansas's running game out of the equation. And Austin Allen so far this year only has completed 119 passes, 15 touchdowns, a little bit more than Chad Kelly, but I just don't see him having a good enough game in this game where Ole Miss is going to know they need to throw the ball, and Allen might force some passes, create some turnovers. I think Ole Miss comes out on top in this one. So that's that. That was the week in college football, and that will be the week in college football as we looked back and looked ahead to college football. Now we get to talk a little NFL, and the first game I want to talk about was the New England Patriots going to Cleveland to face the Browns. Tommy's back, bro. Yeah, that's my Boston impression. I'm very sorry if that offends anyone. It's a little shitty, I understand. But Tom Brady is back, and he announced it in a big, big way. Threw it for 406 yards and three touchdowns. LeGarrette Blunt had 18 carries, only 37 yards and one touchdown. But the day was all about Tom Brady, and he used a lot of new weapons. Had two touchdowns to new tight end Martellus Bennett, who he got from the Bears in the offseason, and then Chris Hogan. Undrafted uh, 
guy from Stanford had four receptions for 114 yards. You'll love to see it. The Browns lost another quarterback. They lose Cody Kessler. They had to to put in Charlie Whitehurst. Terrell Pryor played quarterback for one play. It was a mess for the Browns. Cody Kessler was playing real well. Not real well, but was playing well for what situation he was in for the Browns, and I hated to see him go down. RG3 goes down the first week. Uh, McCowan goes down the second, and then Cody Kessler goes down the fourth. It's just the awful to see. I hate to see it. But Charlie Whitehurst, I don't think he's going to get the start next week. I think Kessler is going to hopefully be back by then. But again, the story in this game, Tom Brady is back, and the Patriots look like the team to beat in the AFC. From a six-round pick in Tom Brady to the second overall pick of last year's drafts, we're going to look at the Eagles as they went to Detroit. Detroit hands the Eagles a 24-23 loss, handing them the first loss of the year for the Eagles. Carson Wentz, though, um, 25-33, a 238 yards, two touchdowns. A real solid day for the rookie. Didn't do anything to lose the game. Um, they were down. The Eagles were, I think, at one point 21-0, and they stormed back, but it just wasn't enough. Matthew Stafford and the rest of the Lions come through big, getting a much-needed win and handing the Eagles their first loss of the year. I don't think it's any reason or call for concern. Carson Wentz didn't really do anything to lose the game. Um, I still like the Eagles a lot in the NFC East. The Lions trying to keep up in the NFC North with the Vikings and the Packers. But it's just not working too much. It was a nice win for them, but in the end, I think it was just that. Just one little kind of off-the-record win, and the Eagles are probably going to rebound next week as well. Carson Wentz is going to need to play um, as good as he is to keep winning. I understand they didn't win this week, but if he keeps playing as well as he is, I could see him maybe rookie of the year and maybe playoffs for these Eagles. The next game we're going to talk about, you need to stay up out them streets because it gets cold like Minnesota. And no team knows that better than the Houston Texans as they fall to the Minnesota Vikings 31-13 to get the Vikings to stay undefeated. Sam Bradford, 271 yards, two touchdowns, rejuvenating his career so far here in Minnesota. Matt Aista, 14 carries, 55 yards, one touchdown, filling in for Adrian Peterson. But again, the big story, Vikings defense keeping them in the game all along. Didn't let Brock Osweiler or anyone else on the Texans get into a rhythm, and it really showed. DeAndre Hopkins wasn't even the leading receiver. Brock Osweiler, only 184 yards, a touchdown interception. A real mediocre type of day. Um, Texans, you got to think, they did not imagine this is what they'd be getting when they brought Osweiler in. But the bigger story, Vikings just keep finding ways to win. And you got to think, when you lose a, a real good game manager quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater like they did, and then you lose... Your star running back in Adrian Peterson. They shouldn't be undefeated at this point in the year, but they are. So hats off to them, and hats off to Zimmer, uh, Zimmerman for getting them coached up as well as he does. And then shout out to Sam Bradford for coming out, showing he can be a game-winning quarterback, maybe a little bit more than better than just a, a game manager, maybe a franchise quarterback. But biggest hat off of all to the Vikings defense a lot of unsung heroes there Xavier Rhodes quarterback there maybe could be this year's Josh Norman um, Richard Sherman Patrick Peterson this kind of unknown cornerback who just comes out of nowhere and shuts people down and then after the year claims he's the best cornerback I don't think he has that type of ego but I really like what the Vikings are doing all around as a whole um, but more concerning is the Texans um, not 
what they probably thought they were going to get from Osweiler. But again, hats off to the entire Minnesota Vikings team to keep them undefeated this weekend. The next game, we go to the Steel City where the Jets fell to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Again, 31-13. But the big story out of this one, Roethlisberger throws for four touchdowns, almost 400 yards. But the real big question is, are we going to see Geno Smith for the New York Jets? Ryan Fitzpatrick, another okay game. Didn't turn the ball over this time, but a couple weekends ago, six picks against the Chiefs. You got to wonder if it doesn't start turning around for the Jets. Are we going to see Geno Smith? Um, I like Ryan Fitzpatrick more than I like Geno Smith, and I think Geno Smith... um, Unless he wins every game and takes them to the Super Bowl, I think his whole reputation and the way the New York fans look at him and the way the New York media has painted him to the fans, unless he wins a Super Bowl for the Jets, everything is going to be a letdown and they are not going to want him at all. So again, Steelers win in this game 31-13. Are we going to see Geno Smith and just continued greatness from Big Ben? Next game, let's go get high. I mean, let's go to Mile High Stadium out in Denver where the Atlanta Falcons go and they hand the Denver Broncos their first loss of the year. Granted, Paxton Lynch, the rookie out of Memphis, had to start for Trevor Simeon, had a dislocated shoulder, something wrong with his uh, opposite shoulder besides his throwing shoulder, but couldn't play the game. Paxton Lynch did, though, 223 yards and a touchdown but an interception, so not really a good day, not a bad day, just another day at the office, sort of. C.J. Anderson wasn't able to get going on the uh, on the ground for the Broncos, only 41 yards. Uh, Matt Ryan, though, 267 yards and a touchdown, and then the combo back between Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman for the Falcons are really showing. Coleman had four receptions, 132 yards. Able to show off his speed and his catching ability. While Devontae Freeman, the big power back, 23 carries, 88 yards and a touchdown. Um, is it is it kind of too early to call the Falcons um, contenders? Because I really like what they're doing. Their defense, I understand, is a little questionable. But their offense is able to put up a lot of points. In the past, though, we have seen defense does tend to win championships. But I like what Atlanta's doing. I don't think this is anything really to set Denver back. I don't think they were going to go undefeated. They're going to lose a couple games on the year. I think this they were right for the picking in this one because they didn't have Simeon, who has progressed and shown week by week that he can be an NFL quarterback because he's making good, solid throws and putting up touchdowns and big yards and winning games for him. I think Denver just took this one on the chin. Um, it was only a seven-point loss for them, so... Still was right in it till the end, but in the end, Falcons handed the Broncos their first loss of the year. We're going to go to Jerry World next, and we're going to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals falling to the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys win in this game 28-14. Dak Prescott, 277 yards, one touchdown. Big question mark for him, though. Is he the quarterback when Tony Romo's healthy? I personally think Tony Romo did nothing to lose that job. Um, when he didn't have his good year, and I think the Cowboys were 12-14 and 14 or 11-5, and 5, something like that, and won the NFC East, is when DeMarco Murray and that offensive line really showed that they can be good and run the ball and what are they doing this year running the ball real well Tony's not going to have to force a lot of balls downfield he's going to be able to hand the ball off about 25-30 times a game um, run the ball and then be able to throw the ball maybe 20-25 and throw to Dez who's been real real good this year when he's been healthy I understand he's missed the last two games but Cole Beasley's been coming on in his absence Terrence Williams as well who kind of disappeared in the past um, next to De- Dez 
and has been coming on real well. Jason Witten, um, the consummate professional, is always there. But what I really want to talk about from this game is Ezekiel Elliott. I understand it's only the uh, fourth or fifth week of the NFL season. Give him the rookie of the year. Give him the rushing title. 134 yards on 15 carries and two touchdowns against a great defense in the Cincinnati Bengals. And he's only going to get better, folks. I understand I'm an Ohio State fan. He's from Ohio State. But it is just so obvious how good he is. And what is just obvious to me is watch a series and watch him get the ball Most backs, if they get stopped near the line or there's a big pileup, they get a yard or two. He is just pounding and looking and finding ways to get two to three to four yards. His one and two yard runs aren't, they don't look the same as every other backs in the NFL. And I know that's just something like really small, but I think it just speaks a lot. And yes, he is a good back. The offensive line is helping him, but I think he would succeed in any type of offense with maybe not as good of a line, but he has so much talent. I really think he's going to win the rushing title this year and the rookie of the year. So as I said, Dallas rode Ezekiel to win this weekend. Probably going to do so further on in the future. Dallas wins this game 28-14 over the Bengals. The last game I'm going to talk about from the past weekend in the NFL was the New York Giants falling to the Green Bay Packers 23-16. The big, big story in this, though, Odell Beckham Jr. getting yelled at, just scrutinized everything by so many people this past weekend, this whole week as well for him showing too much passion for a game there used to be a time when players that showed this type of passion would be praised and talked about so highly but it's just a different world we live in right now I think it's going a little soft and I'm not gonna get on my soapbox and talk about that that much but I think Odell has just been given the short end of the stick and I think everyone that's just criticizing him for being too much of a competitor just needs to shut up And I also think everyone in the Giants organization, especially Eli Manning and their head coach who came out and said he's a distraction, he needs to get under control, are just dickheads in this entire situation. They handled it completely wrong. He is making them look, McAdoo, the head coach, he's making McAdoo and Eli look so good. He is by far the best player on this team. He is one of, if not the best player in the NFL. you got to rally behind him, and when you throw him under the bus like they did, it's just bullshit. Odell, you're probably not listening. If you are, what the hell are you doing? But keep doing you. I understand you need to keep it in check a little bit. Don't get senseless penalties and stuff that's going to hurt your team like that. But keep the passion. Keep playing hard. It just shows you love the game. It shows you want to win. And you're not going to win every time. You can be upset a little bit. Lose with class. Win with class. I think you do. But just keep competing because all these other guys that are talking shit and not rallying behind you and don't want to win as much as you is a little upsetting because they're your teammates. But now that we talked about that, we talk a little bit about the game. Aaron Rodgers, 259 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, though, a little concerning there. Eddie Lacy, only 81 yards. Giants weren't able to get anything going. Odell caught a touchdown late in the game, gave a hug to the uh, 
kicker's net that he knocked over a couple weekends ago. So it's nice to see he's showing a sense of humor. Bigger picture in this game, Odell was able to control himself, not get any penalties. Hopefully that continues, and the Giants get a big NFC win. Not the Giants, the Packers. I apologize about that. Now that we talked about the previous week's games, I can talk about next week's games. I'm only going to talk about a few. The first one I want to talk about, not really the game, just one player in the game. The 49ers versus the Bills. Um, The Bills are probably going to win this, but Colin Kaepernick is going to get the start for the 49ers. I think he should have been starting all year long. Uh, Chip Kelly's offense is tailor-made for him. Uh, I expect a big game from Colin Kaepernick, but a loss by the 49ers. Next game I want to talk about, Panthers going to the Saints. Um, both teams very disappointing so far. Panthers 1-4 and four after a tough Monday night loss to fellow NFC South team, the Buccaneers. And then the Saints 1-3. and three. Both teams desperate for a win. Hopefully Cam Newton for the Panthers can come out of concussion protocol and be able to play this game. If not, I like the Saints. If so, I like the Panthers. Simple as that. Cam Newton is the key to this game. If he plays, the Panthers win. If he doesn't, the Saints are going to come out on top in this one. Another game to look at that could have some big implications and answer a few of our questions. One being, are the Falcons for real? They go to Seattle where they're going to have to deal with the 12th man. Seattle's uh, crazy crowd. Um, Falcons 4-1, Seahawks 3-1. Battle of the Birds, baby. Um, This game's 425 on Fox. Can't wait to watch it. Um, Falcons are going to need to be able to run the ball. Seattle's defense is probably going to show up, shut that down. Big question for Seattle is Russell Wilson healthy coming off the bye week. Hopefully he is. Um, was dealing with an ankle problem and a little bit of a knee problem, I think. But if Matt Ryan and that run game for the Falcons could show up, I like the Falcons in this one. After that, we're going to leap on over to Lambeau where the Packers are going to face the Dallas Cowboys. I like the Cowboys in this one. It's my upset of the week. And I think Green Bay, they're favored by four points. I think the Cowboys are going to ride Ezekiel Elliott again. The Packers defense has given up the fewest yards per game, I believe, or yards per attempt, I think it is, to running backs so far this year. But I think Zeke is just going to shatter that. I think he's going to run all over him. I do think the Packers, though, are going to win this game because I don't think Dallas's defense is going to be able to make enough stops against Aaron Rodgers on that high-powered offense. I think Eddie Lacy has a big game as well. So maybe a little bit of a running back duel here, but... In the end, Ezekiel Elliott, big day, just not enough. Packers are going to come out on top in this one. The last game I want to talk about, we're going to look at a big AFC South matchup early on in the year. we got the Colts going to the Texans. Colts 2-3, and three, Texans 3-2. Three and two. As I said, big AFC matchup. If the Colts are going to win this game, Andrew Luck is going to have to play a great game. But... Houston's defense isn't as good as it has been in past years. J.J. Watt out for the year, as we all know. I like Indianapolis to put up a lot of points this game, but I think Indianapolis' defense is just not good enough. And I think Brock Osweiler and DeAndre Hopkins have really big games. I'm thinking maybe two touchdowns from Hopkins and probably over 400 yards for Osweiler and just silences all the questions and all the critiques of, was I worth all this money in the offseason? I think this game... He helps the Texans win this game, has a big game, and hushes all the critics. Now that we talked about the NFL, here on Carson Sack, we like to talk about a lot of balls. And I promised you we'd talk about it, so we're gonna. We've talked about it in the past, just not very recently. We're talking baseball, and we kind of have to because the playoffs are in full swing. The Rangers fell to the Blue Jays. They got swept 
And then the Indians beat the Red Sox, sweep them as well. A very emotional scene last night in Boston as Cleveland swept them. David Ortiz, Big Poppy's last game, a real class act. They, those two teams are going to face each other in the ALCS. I'm very excited for that. Can Cleveland's pitching and their bit of scrappy offense um, keep the Blue Jays to minimal points and runs across the board? And then can their pitching slow them down and can their offense, again, just continue to find ways to put runs on the board? To answer that question, though, I really like the Indians in this one. I'm going to go Tribe in six, and I really think it comes down to Terry Francona, uh, Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, and I think the ALCS MVP is going to be Francisco Lindor, the shortstop for the Indians. He's a great young bat, really athletic in the field. I like a lot what he does. If you're an Indians fan, you got to understand the Blue Jays have a really high-powered offense. They're going to put up runs. But the Indians find ways to win games, and Terry Francona is just the manager for this scrappy type of offense where you bunt, you advance, you do all this stuff just to get a run across. But I think what it comes down to is the key players that I'd mentioned and then the managerial skills of Terry Francona being just the savvy veteran that he is that's going to get the Tribe uh, winning this series in six. Just talk about the AL, so now we shift to the NL, where as we speak right now in one of the division series, Game 4, the Cubs just tied it up in the top of the ninth. Um, Contreras for the Cubs just hit a single that scored Rizzo and Zobris to tie it up at 5 apiece. Cubs are leading this series 2-1, best out of 5, so one more win, and they're headed to the NLCS to face either the Nationals or the Dodgers. It just seems like the Cubs' year this year, they're finding ways to win. They won over 100 games. They got Jake Arrieta. They got uh, Lester, I believe, as well, who's been a great second piece for them in that pitching rotation as well. I like what the Cubs are doing. If they don't win this game, I think they definitely win Game 5 back in Chicago. Madison Bumgarner pitched for the Giants um, against Jake Arrieta. Bumgarner wasn't really himself, was kind of average, but the Giants somehow pulled that game out. He did, though, Bumgarner did, have a great showing against the Mets in the wild card game to even get them to this point. So you can't really put the fault on him. I think the Cubs are just the better team and are showing that now, and I think they're going to win probably tonight in Game 4 somehow. And if they don't, Game 5, back at Wrigley, they got it. The next series we look at in the National League, we got the Nationals, Facing the Dodgers. Nationals were the high-ranked team so far in the playoffs. They've lost the past two games to the Dodgers. Series is tied 2-2. Going back to Washington, though, um, if the Nationals are going to win, their pitching is going to have to show up. And Bryce Harper, I need something from him. Hasn't showed a lot so far in the playoffs. Dodgers hanging on by the skin of their teeth. I like the Dodgers, though, in this one. Um, don't ask me why. I just got a feeling they're going to win it. I don't think Washington's ready or experienced enough to win this game. So right now in the NL for the National League Championship, I got the Dodgers versus the Cubs, and I got the Cubs probably winning that one in five or six as well. That sets up a Indians-Cubs World Series, which would just be amazing to see. I'll talk about the World Series a little bit more as we get closer to it, maybe as the uh, Championship Series get uh, closer to happening and end up happening. But right now, if I had my pick and if I, as a fan, could handpick who I'd want there, I'd pick the Cubs and the Indians, and that's what my uh, analysis pick is going to say as well.
Well, we have done it. We have covered all the balls that we needed to talk about this SAC podcast. I appreciate you listening in, tuning in, listening to it however you can, mostly on SoundCloud. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Get this to as many people as you can. If you don't, it's okay. I still appreciate you listening to me. Um, Again, I apologize for missing last Wednesday's podcast. Missed a lot of stuff to talk about. Again, I apologize. I will try not to do that. I was just a little sick and didn't think you all would want to hear that. Thank you for listening to the seventh episode of Carson Sack Podcast. We will be seeing you.